I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Today is a beautiful day in the Black Hills. It's... um kind of spring-like day, and we had a continuation of our last podcast, which was with Walter Little Moon. Walter, uh, I got acquainted with him through DNA of all things. We found out that we're related, and we're related through my mom's side, the mill side, and I believe probably through the Adams side. Her, her mother was Susie Adams. So Walter has had many experiences in his life, and I'm very thankful that he was willing to share with me his experience of being at Wounded Knee during the takeover in 1973. That actually was where he lived, was the Wounded Knee village there, and how that impacted him. Also, I'd like you to know that Walter is an author of a book called They Called Me Uncivilized, and you can get that on Amazon. There was a documentary done of his boarding school experiences, and that's called The Deep Dark Fog. I'd like to introduce you to Walter Little Moon. So that, uh, that's how they destroyed uh, my mother's house. And I didn't know what they were doing. There was nothing there. By that time, my uncle had moved into Pine Ridge uh, to the old age home because he he wasn't able to take care of himself anymore. So all of his children had grown up and had left. And pretty soon they come running out of there. And then all of a sudden I seen the smoke come out of the doorway and the back window. Then all of a sudden, I could see the smoke coming in because it was an old house, pretty dried out, and it burnt like maybe 15 minutes. That old house was gone, just flat on the ground. And they burnt that place, and these guys jumped in their van and drove right back to the store again, or the old trading post. And later on, they destroyed that, too. And from what I heard, they had, uh, the store used to have this old chopping block, the big one. I think it was about uh, three or three and a half feet across, made out of oak, and they put their meat on it and just cut it all up. One of the older ones was low, low to the floor. It looked like a big uh, stool, a sitting stool, three legs on it. And uh, from what I heard, they had put a lamp on there, 
and somebody knocked the lamp over. And there was an old uh, dried-up wood, and that caught on fire. And that started burning, and everybody run and ran out because there was no more water. There was no place you can get water there. And uh, once that place started burning, there was no way that you could stop it. Mm-hmm. So they just let it burn to the ground. And Walter, I'm I'm yeah. I'm kind of wondering about your mom and how she, how this affected her and how she handled it then. Well, my sister helped out uh, a lot during that time. She stayed with my mother constantly, all day and night. That she was always there. And we did what we could to make sure that she was safe. So she lived in the basement during that time. She moved everything that she had right down into the basement, her bed, everything, right up to the wall. So even if they did shoot in our directions, then it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't go down into the basement. A lot of the shooting that took place within the housing areas happened after the occupation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of the people, uh, they all moved into their basements. And uh, in the daytime, he didn't go out. He just stayed in that basement. And at nighttime, when it was dark, then you go out uh, for a bathroom or whatever necessity you had to do. You went out during that time where they wouldn't see you. Which, uh, that's what I thought anyway, but I forgot that they had these night vision uh, goggles. And I didn't even think about that at, during that time. It was afterwards that I remembered that stuff. So they could still see us, but I think they left us alone because uh, during the day that we just stayed in the housing area. And if we did go any place, we always walked in the ditches. So that's how we uh, survived. So mentally and emotionally... Uh, I didn't say anything about our mother's house getting uh, uh, ripped apart or demolished. What I told her that our uncle's house was burnt down. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all I said to her. But I think she understood. So emotionally, I know she suffered a lot. Mm-hmm. And so did other people. So what happened uh, emotionally... Uh, a lot of people just uh, gave up. They all uh, start getting together in smaller groups. If you belonged uh, in support of a tribal council, then there was a small group there. And then there was another one for uh, the local people right in Wounded Knee, if you still cared about them or supported them. There was another group there. And then there was a group that uh, uh, supported uh, the AIM people, or the, uh, well, back then we called them the gangsters. And they didn't, uh, they didn't do anything to help us out as uh, residents. So even uh, uh, if you supported them, there was also a, a small group of them. So there were three different groups that existed during that time. Uh, but uh, uh, nobody uh, accused uh, uh, anything of, uh, or told or told anybody what group that you belonged to. You had you had that uh, loyalty to your friendships still in the back of your mind. 
So you try to hang on to a lot of that stuff. Sure. Because in a, in a Lakota way, you don't give that stuff up, mm-hmm. no matter what. Walter? No, go ahead. Uh, well, I know one phrase that you had mentioned um, really stuck out to me, that, that there were empty promises. Empty promises. Um, did, did they... I remember... I remember the American movement, uh, American uh, Indian movement, would uh, say things like, uh, "When this is over, or if there's going to be a change, and uh, the tribal president will be gone, and there's going to be some jobs that would come out into the district area, conditions would be a lot more better, and things would be improved, transportation and stuff like that." And in the wintertime, there'll always be something helpful available. But, you know, we were there in the wintertime. And uh, that didn't, uh, none of that stuff ever took place. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I know the election took place right after uh, the occupation. And uh, Dick Wilson, he was the tribal president. And he got reelected again. Mm-hmm. So none of that ever changed. I know that um, a few years later, and I'm not even sure how how long, I know that you had kind of a mission in your life to try to help. Can you explain? Oh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. uh, that was after the occupation, and uh, I stayed around Wounded Knee for a while. But at Notice that uh, people stayed in their homes all the time, and they didn't come out even during the day. And if out, they just sat on the steps and not visiting. There was no socializing of any type. Churches didn't do anything. Catholic church was so shot up, so looked like Swiss cheese. When you walked by there, you could see all the bullet holes in that place. And the Presbyterian church was just completely destroyed. And then they started rebuilding them. And all the churches had uh, rebuilt their uh, buildings and replaced, uh, the Catholic Church replaced their whole uh, building. But they didn't do anything to help the people. And the people were suffering a lot. There was only one place where you can get water, and that was at the Catholic Church. There was a windmill there, and you can get water there. But there was nothing, we had nothing to carry uh, water in. So we used whatever we could find, anything, you know, buckets, uh, plastic buckets, uh, the gallon jugs that we found, anything that we could uh, carry water, and that's what we did. We even had a makeshift outhouse sitting right in the housing area that everybody used. And uh, uh, all the churches had rebuilt their buildings, the churches, and uh, I, re- I remember going up into that Presbyterian building, and there was a big hole there right in the center, or up in the, on the western, northwestern part of that building. There was a big hole there, and you could crawl in there, and they'll crawl all the way back down, down into where the cemetery was, and you can uh, go through, crawl in through there, and crawl in and out, and nobody would see you. And that's how it was. Catholic Church, uh, there wasn't too many people there. 
most of them were sitting in a trench that was dug up in front of the uh, church. And so they stayed in that area, and, and every place they went, there was always trenches. Episcopal Church, well, not the Episcopal, but Episcopalian, no, no, Episcopal Church. That was way down in the south, uh, north, uh, northwest of uh, the Wounded Housing Area. And that was burnt down. And I watched it burning, sitting at my mother's house, looking out the window. And I could see these little uh, flickers of flame. And that was an old building. It was there before I was born, and it was still there until 73. And they burnt that down. And that didn't take long to uh, burn down. It was an old, dried-up building. For the Presbyterian, the Catholic Church, and the Church of God, all those buildings were destroyed. And they were all destroyed by fire. They weren't uh, destroyed by... Uh, the ain't people, uh, I'm pretty sure, the ones that destroyed a lot of that stuff. Broke into all of the homes there. Even my buddy's place, they broke into his house, and they broke into his mother's house, and they broke into his brother's house. They all lived in one area, and they broke into and they stole everything that he had, all of his clothes, his boots. He was kind of a, like a Western dresser. So all of that stuff that he had, they stole all of that stuff. And right where my mother's uh, place, when they broke into there and took care of this house, Everything that we had there, all the, except my mother had and the beadwork, all of that taken. And uh, we even had a water, one of those, uh, uh, I can't remember, one of the great big, uh, we used it as water jugs because we hauled our water. And that was gone, too. Even the Wounded Knee store, uh, the buildings right in the area, they were all destroyed. They were most burned down. But the funny part of it, only one building there, and they turned that into a kind of a, like a hospital. Everybody got hurt, that's where they took them. And the guys, there was a couple of guys, I think, that, or one guy that got shot during that time, they took him in there. And I uh, met him later later on in Denver, Colorado. And he always bragged about that being shot there. But he was an Indian. He was not an Indian. And the other one um, that got shot during that time, Lamont, Buddy Lamont. I knew him personally because I went to school with him. Him and I were in the same grade. And he sat on the desk had a desk on the left side of me, and I remember that incident because there was a, a thing that happened in school that stood, it stood out in my mind all these years, and it still is. One of my buddies was talking. He was sitting behind me, and uh, the teacher was uh, talking. He was saying, you know, get your book out. He was a man, and uh, my buddy was sitting there talking. And he was, he was giggling. I knew he, he, he usually tells jokes. But the teacher picked up this big, heavy book, walked up to him and hit him on the side of the head and knocked him over, desk and all. And they, they made him pick up his desk and set it in 
and he had to face the corner. And I remember that, getting hit by that book and getting knocked over. And that was a sad thing, but I remember that always stayed with me, even up to this day. Mm-hmm. And for and my... Anyway, Buddy, Buddy was killed there. Oh, okay. And, and uh, I knew him personally. Mm-hmm. One of my classmates. Oh, okay. And the other, uh, I think his name was Clearwater. I didn't know him. He was from a different tribe. Mm-hmm. But those things were not to be expected when all that shooting was going on. It's a wonder that more people weren't killed, really, when you think, yeah. you know, with all the shooting. Well, I, I know later on... Um, can you share with us a little bit of what you tried to do to help the community? And uh... Oh, yeah, there was uh, one more story of the shooting part of it. Uh, the marshal had got shot there. I don't know if you've heard about that. No. Mm-mm. But uh, where he got shot, to uh, where, that, uh, where they claimed the gun was fired from, was approximately maybe a mile, a mile and a half. And there's no way that any of the firearms that the uh, American Indian Movement had would reach that far. And because there was over a hill. And uh, I think, and I, I've always felt that uh, that marshal was shot by his own people. Mm. And uh, the shooting usually get wild when uh, uh, the marshals will start firing at night. And you can see all the tracers that they used. And mostly they shot at the Catholic Church. I don't know why. And sometimes they will shoot at the Presbyterian building. And, uh, you know, just uh, here and there they would shoot at just a certain uh, place. <laughs> and I remember one that uh, he lived in that area by the Wounded Knee Church, in, uh, just about in line and from the northern direction. His house got shot up a couple of times, and they shot this uh, as a broom handle. They shot it in half. Hmm. I mean, they just snapped it right off, and they put it back together, and they taped it together and still used it after uh, the occupation. He still had it. And that, uh, <laughs> that struck me funny when I visited him. But uh, there were things that happened like that. Sure. But anyway, uh, after the occupation, I noticed a lot of people withdrawn because I, I grew up there and I knew a lot of the people and I felt a lot of compassion for a lot of the people. And uh, if this went on, then uh, Wounded Knee would be completely destroyed. It would be gone in a matter of years. And I just happened to... Uh, Ended up going into Denver, Colorado. And I went there simply because I wanted to quit drinking at that time. And I did. And I stopped drinking and I got involved uh, with a couple other people. They wanted to set up a nonprofit organization. And they they weren't from, uh, one was from Oklahoma and one was from Wisconsin. And they wanted to uh, do something. Uh, for the local people and helping them out that those that wanted to quit drinking. And so we had to get uh, get started on something. So I just, you know, threw out the fact that maybe 
and start a clothing drive and see if we could help out some of the people in Wounded Knee. And I thought, it'd be, I thought it would be something like maybe a month, two months, and then we'd have something concrete because we had 11 items on our uh, uh, nonprofit organizations. We could do, for an example, we could uh, write a newspaper and we could teach it and we can uh, disseminate uh, these copies of uh, a newspaper. We could do those things. Uh, there were other things, 10 other things that we could do. And so we had to be very careful when we, when we wrote that um, uh, Articles of Incorporation. And so when we got started on this clothing drive, I didn't realize that it would take off. And then we threw in... Uh, uh, food, and we uh, tried to get these people to come out of their house. And I came across these conditions that there wasn't anything available simply because I went back for Christmas. I went home to Christmas because I knew the churches always had Christmas going. Every one of them did something for Christmas. But there was nothing going on. No churches, no uh, gatherings, nothing. No dinners, nothing at all for Christmas. So I figured, you know, see if we could bring in some uh, uh, Easter stuff. See if we could uh, uh, kind of bring these people out and maybe start a, a Christmas celebration, I mean, an Easter celebration, and see what we could do. So I brought that idea out at the next uh, uh, meeting that we have. And we had this clothing drive, and that just took off. One day I came back, and the whole yard was filled up with uh, clothing, and we had to turn around, load it up in a bus, or load it up in a truck. And uh, somehow the U-Haul manager had a, had a lot of good feelings towards Native people. And so he let us use as many trucks that we needed free of charge which helped us out a lot. So all we had to do was pay for the gas and uh, buy the gas, pay for, uh, and I would drive one truck and there would be another driver for the uh, other truck. And so that's how we uh, got into the clothing thing. And then some other things started showing up. Somebody would ask, what else do they need? And would say maybe lumber, maybe jackets, uh, gloves, Anything that is uh, workable, and we're going to start a food program, see if we can help them with food, because there wasn't uh, any money coming in. And so we start setting up uh, small boxes of food. We would haul all that food down there in a the, in the truck, and then take it and uh, take my um, Boxes that we uh, would find would go from uh, you know places like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, pizza places, whatever they had when they were closing up, then they would give it to us free of charge, and so we would load that up and take that in and uh, uh, pass out uh, boxes of food, and we would uh, work sometimes all night long just making up food boxes and putting uh, the fast food in them, um, making sure that they knew what was in there. I had things like uh, peanut butter, 
uh, flour, canned uh, fruit, anything that was uh, uh, that would last a few days, and we would schedule that to go at the end of the month, maybe the last uh, week in the month when everybody was broke and there was nothing, uh, no food left, and that's when we would bring in the food. So we had a couple of weeks ahead of time to get all that stuff together, get all the other arrangements together, and make sure that we got everything delivered on time. And so that uh, helped out a lot of the people. And I would, uh, you know, uh, working all night, I would try to sleep for a while, and then we would start delivering, wake me up, and we would go from house to house delivering food, trying to uh, try to explain to them. And then Chris, uh, Easter, Easter morning, we just uh, hopefully we would create a dinner for them, and we did. And it cost us, I think it was, uh, about eight hundred dollars to feed. Uh, we estimated six hundred people, and uh, we brought in bread. I think it was thirty cases of eggs, because we used to buy eggs there at I think. Twelve dollars uh, for a case during that time, and there was other uh, uh, grocery stores or uh, big markets that would throw in food, and they would give us discounts. And even in uh, Nebraska, some of the border towns like Gordon, they would help out. They would give us a discount if we needed things uh, real quick. So we had eggs, we had a big dinner, and some of the local people, we'd ask them if they would cook. And they would bring in uh, their pots and pans, and they would divide up the eggs as much as they could uh, boil and color. So we would buy uh, food coloring, uh, eggs, and things like ham, bread, crackers, and anything that we could make a stew out of soup. And we had, uh, I think it was a 20-gallon uh, cooking pot that we used. It was one of those aluminum things, and just cooked that outside. And so that worked out good, and it served the purpose, and it accomplished its purpose. It brought out the food, and we... And the idea was to hopefully establish friendships again and renew friendships. I I was going to say, I'm sure that it helped heal in some way, you know, because like you said, with friendship is so important. And also, you know, the element of generosity. And, you know, I'm so glad that Walter was willing to visit with us about this you know, his perspective is, is entirely different than what we've heard or perhaps even read about the situation. And I thought it was important that we realized there was a lot of components to what happened. And Walter, I am so honored that you were willing to be on Lakota Link. And I would like my listeners to realize that Walter has... Um, written a book and the book is named help me walter <laughs> uh, they call me uncivilized okay i i had that written down but i couldn't find it in my notes <laughs> but they that you know that's what he grew up with was and so he wrote a book and i would encourage my listeners if uh 
to follow his story a little more. And I think you can get this book on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And it's available on Amazon. And, uh, and I think... Just type in my name and the uh, name of the book. Yes. And, and uh, what I'd the like... Main reason, the main reason for that book was uh, based on boarding school. Yes. And I would like Walter to talk to me and be interviewed about his experiences in boarding school. Would you be willing to do that at a later date? Yeah, well, I can do that. Okay. And, and uh, another thing, you know, there's also the women's uh, part of uh, this whole story. Mm-hmm. They also played an important role, even in the survival of Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. And uh, that part I couldn't and can't say anything about it because that's that belongs to the women. Mm-hmm. And ours, uh, you know, what I know and what I experienced, uh, I talk about belongs to uh, the male part of it. So these two powers exist on Earth. That, that was one of the things that I grew up with that my mother had talked about before. But I didn't know that she had attended the Holy Rosary Mission. But somehow she had maintained this idea that there are two powers on this earth and uh, within the Lakota nation, also any nation that exists. There's two powers there. One is the female and one is the male. And so everything is based around that. So we understand things in the Wounded Knee community, or we did understand that at one time, that everything is based on the family concept. Mm-hmm. There's the mother, there's the there's the father, then there's the mother, and there, there's the brother, then there's the sister. Or there's the sister and the brother, either way. And so even uh, when you addressed the president of the United States, you don't call him the president. You call him the first, first man, or first woman, or first man, or the first person. So they always addressed uh, that one uh, president as the first person, meaning that he's the father of this nation, okay. the United States. That, that was an understanding. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. They just they get a chance to swear at the uh, president, cuss him out, whatever they can to uh, make him look uh, make him look bad, but. You know, that's how we forget uh, that we should have more respect and honor within ourselves, that we're losing that. We need to bring that back. And so boarding school was uh, based on that also. Yes. If we can understand that boarding school, then we can uh, work through anything that we uh, go through. And and for my listeners, uh, if you're able to, I would like you to research out the... Thick Dark Fog, and that's a documentary, and it has to do with Walter's life, and you'll find that very interesting. And um, I do thank you, Walter, for being on Lakota Link, and uh, many of the Lakota values I think you have achieved, and, you know, certainly generosity. You've been very generous to your people, and we will continue on with Walter's story and thank you okay there's uh before you uh, leave there was one more thing about these two powers 
that we can cover later on. Mm-hmm. But I want you to understand that there is stories behind them also. Sure. Some of the beliefs that exist today, that we're losing those. Uh, so the next time we get, I get a chance to talk, then uh, we'll get into these two powers of uh, male and female. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.